This sermon was created with an artificial voice for the audiobook initiative on Sermon Audio. There may be mispronunciations or occasional repetitions. To report a mistake, please email us at info at sermonaudio.com and include the sermon ID or title of the message and the time at which the error occurs. We will do our best to get it corrected for future listeners. The Greatness of the Soul, Part 8 By John Bunyan Hence you find that at the very first appearance of Jesus Christ, the whole world begins to mourn and lament, every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And therefore you also find them to stand at the door and knock, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. Moreover, you find them also desiring, yea, also so humble in their desires, as to be content with the least degree of mercy, one drop, one drop upon the tip of one's finger. What stooping, what condescension, what humility is here, all, and every one of those passages declare that the hand of God is upon them, and that the Almighty has got the mastery of them, and that the Almighty has got the mastery of them, has conquered them, broke the pride of their power, and laid them low, and made them cringe and crouch unto him, bending the knee and craving of kindness. Thus then will God bow and bend and break them, yea, make them bow and bend and break before him. And hence also, it is they will weep and mourn and gnash their teeth and cry and repent that ever they have been so foolish, so wicked, so traitorous to their souls, such enemies of their own eternal happiness as to stand out in the day of their visitation in a way of rebellion against the Lord. But here is their hard hap, their dismal lot and portion, that all these things must be when it is too late. It is and will be the lot and hap of these to bow, bend, and break too late. You read they come weeping and mourning, and with tears they knock and they cry for mercy. But what did tears avail? Why, nothing, for the door was shut, he answered and said, I know not whence you are, but they repeat and renew their suit, saying, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. What now? Why he returns upon them his first answer the second time, saying, I know not whence ye are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. Then he concludes, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. They come weeping and go weeping away. They come to him weeping, for they saw that he had conquered them. But they departed weeping, for they saw that he would damn them. Yet, as we read in another place, they were very loath to go from him by their reasoning and expostulating with him. Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee. But all would not do. Here is no place for change of mind. 
These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. And now what would a man give in exchange for his soul? So that, as I said before, all is too late. They mourn too late. They repent too late. They pray too late and seek to make an exchange for their soul too late. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Two or three things there may yet be gathered from these words. I mean, as to the desires of them that have lost their souls, to make for them an exchange. What shall a man give in exchange? What shall, what would, yea, what would not a man, if he had it, give in exchange for his soul? First, what would not a man, I mean, a man that is in the condition that is by the text supposed some men are and will be in, give in exchange to have another man's virtue instead of their own vices. Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my soul be in the state of the soul of the righteous, that is, in reference to his virtues, when I die, and let my last end be like his. It is a sport now to some to taunt and squib and deride at other men's virtues. But the day is coming when their minds will be changed, and when they shall be made to count those that have done those righteous actions and duties which they have scoffed at, the only blessed men. Yea, they shall wish their soul in the blessed possession of those graces and virtues that those whom they hated were accompanied with and would, if they had it, give a whole world for this change. But it will not now do. It is now too late. What then shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And this is more than intimated in that 25th of Matthew named before. For you find by that text how loath they were or will be to be counted for unrighteous people. Lord, say they, they, when did we see thee in hungered or thirst, naked or sick, and did not minister unto thee? Now they are not willing to be of the number of the wicked though heretofore the ways of the righteous were an abomination to them. But, alas, they are before a just God, a just judge, a judge that will give everyone according to their ways. Therefore, woe unto the soul of the wicked now, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hands shall be given him. Thus, therefore, he is locked up as to this. He cannot now change his vice for virtues, nor put himself nor his soul in the stead of the soul of the saved, so that it still and will forever abide a question unresolved, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I do not doubt but that a man's state may be such in this world, that if he had it, he would give thousands of gold to be as innocent and guiltless in the judgment of the law of the land as is the state of such or such, heartily wishing that himself was not that he that he is. How much more then will men wish thus when they stand ready to receive the last, their eternal judgment? But what shall a man give in exchange for his soul, second, as they would, for the salvation of their souls, be glad to change away their vices for the virtues, their sins for the good deeds of others. So what would they not give to change places now, or to remove from where now they are into paradise, into Abraham's bosom?
but neither shall this be admitted. The righteous must have their inheritance to themselves, neither, said Abraham. Can they pass to us that would come from thence? Neither can they dwell in heaven that would come from hell. They then that have lost, or shall lose their souls, are bound to their place, as well as to their sins. When Judas went to hell, he went to his home, to his own place. And when the righteous go hence, they also go home to their house, to their own place. For the kingdom of heaven is prepared for them. Between heaven and hell, there is a great gulf fixed. That is a strange passage. There is a great gulf fixed. What this gulf is, and how impassable, they that shall lose their souls will know to their woe. Because it is fixed there where it is, on purpose to keep them in their tormenting place, so that they that would pass from hell to heaven cannot. But I say, would they not change places? Would they not have a more comfortable house and home for their souls? Yes, verily, the text supposes it, and the sixteenth of Luke affirms it. Yea, and could they purchase for their souls a habitation among the righteous, would they not? Yes, they would give all the world to such a change. What shall, what shall not a man, if he had it, if it would answer his design, give an exchange for his soul? Third, as the damned would change their own vices for virtues, and the place where they are for that into which they shall not come, so what would they give for a change of condition? Yea, if an absolute change may not be obtained, yet what would they give for the least degree of mitigation of that torment, which now they know will without any intermission be, and that for ever and ever, tribulation and anguish, indignation and wrath, the gnawing worm, and everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, and from the glory of His power, and from the glory of His power, cannot be borne but with great horror and grief. No marvel, then, if these poor creatures would, for ease for their souls, be glad to change their conditions. Change with whom? With an angel, with a saint, I with a dog or a toad, for they mourn not, they weep not, nor do they bear indignation of wrath. They are as if they had not been. Only the sinful soul abides in its sins, in the place designed for lost souls, and in the condition that wrath and indignation for sin and transgression have decreed them to abide forever. And this brings me to the conclusion, which is, that seeing the ungodly do seek good things too late, Therefore, notwithstanding their seeking, they must still abide in their place, their sins, and their torment. For what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Therefore God saith that they there must still abide and dwell. No exchange can be made. This shall ye have of mine hand. Ye shall lie down in sorrow. They shall lie down in it. They shall lie down in it, there they shall lie. And this is the bitter pill that they must swallow down at the last. For after all their tears, their sorrows, their mournings, their repentings, their wishings and woundings, their wishings and woundings, and all their inventings and desires to change their state for a better, they must lie down in sorrow. 
The poor condemned man that is upon the ladder or scaffold has, if one knew them, many a long wish and long desire that he might come down again alive, or that his condition was as one of the spectators that are not condemned and brought thither to be executed as he. How carefully also doth he look with his failing eyes to see if some comes not from the king with a pardon for him, all the while endeavoring to fumble away as well as he can, and to prolong the minute of his execution. But at last, when he has looked, when he has wished, when he has desired, and done whatever he can, the blow with the axe, or turn with the ladder, is his lot. So he goes off the scaffold, so he goes from among men, and thus it will be with those that we have under consideration. When all comes to all, and they have said, and wished, and done what they can, the judgment must not be reversed, they must lie down in sorrow. They must or shall lie down of old. When a man was to be chastised for his fault, he was to lie down to receive his stripes. So here saith the Lord, they shall lie down, and it shall be, if the wicked man be worthy to be beaten, that the judge shall cause him to lie down, and to be beaten before his face. And this lying down was to be his lot, after he had pleaded for himself what be could, and the judge shall cause him to be beaten before his face, while he is present to behold the execution of judgment, and thus it shall be at the end of the world. The wicked shall lie down and shall be beaten with many stripes in the presence of Christ and in the presence of the holy angels. For there will be his presence, not only at the trial as judge, but to see execution done, nay, to do it himself by the pouring out like a river. His wrath as burning brimstone upon the soul of the lost and cast away sinner. He shall lie down, these words imply that at last the damned soul shall submit. For to lie down is an act that signifies submission, especially to lie down to be beaten. The wicked shall be silent in darkness. When the malefactor has said and wished all that be can, yet at last he submits, is silent, and, as it were, helps to put his head into the halter, or doth lay down his neck upon the block, so here it is said, the damned, they shall lie down in sorrow. There is also a place that saith, These shall go away into everlasting punishment. To go, to go to punishment, is also an act of submission. Now submission to punishment doth, or should, flow from full conviction of the merit of punishment. And I think it is so to be understood here, for every mouth shall be stopped, and all the world of soul losers become guilty before God. Every mouth shall be stopped, not at the beginning of the judgment, for then they plead and pray and also object against the judge. But at the end, after that, by a judicial proceeding, he shall have justified against them his sayings and have overcome these his judges. Then they shall submit and also lie down in sorrow. Yea, they shall go away to their punishment as those who know they deserve it. Yea, they shall go away with silence. How they shall behave themselves in hell, 
I will not hear dispute. Whether in a way of rage and blasphemy, and in rending and tearing of the name and just actions of God towards them, or whether by way of submission there. I say, though this is none of this task, yet a word or two, if you please. Doubtless they will not be mute there. They will cry and wail and gnash their teeth, and perhaps too, sometimes at God. But I do not think but that the justice that they have deserved, and the equal administration of it upon them, will, for the most part, prevail with them to rend and tear themselves, to acquit and justify God, and to add fuel to their fire by concluding themselves in all the fault, and that they have sufficiently merited this just damnation. For it would seem strange to me that just judgment among men shall terminate in this issue, if God should not justify himself in the conscience of all the damned. But as here on earth, so he will let them know that go to hell that he hath not done without a cause, a sufficient cause, all that he hath done in damning of them. Use and application. I come now to make some use and application of the whole. And use first. If the soul be so excellent a thing as we have made it appear to be, and if the loss thereof be so great a loss, then here you may see who they are that are those extravagant ones. I mean, those that are such in the highest degree. Solomon tells us of a great waster, and saith also, that he that is slothful in his business is brother to such an one, who Solomon had his eye upon, or who it was that he counted so great a waster, I cannot tell. But I will challenge all the world to show me one, that for wasting and destroying, may be compared to him that for the lusts and pleasures of this life will hazard the loss of his soul. Many men will be so profuse and will spend at that prodigal rate that they will bring a thousand pound a year to five hundred and five hundred to fifty, nay, and some also will bring that fifty to less than nine pence. But what is this to him that shall never leave losing until he has lost his soul? I have heard of some who would throw away a farm, a good estate, upon the trundling of one single bowl. But what is this to the casting away of the soul? Nothing can for badness be compared to sin. It is the vile thing. It cannot have a worse name than its own. It is worse than the vilest men, than the vilest of beasts, the beasts. Yea, sin is worse than the devil himself. For it is sin and sin only that hath made the devils devils. And yet for this, for this vile, this abominable thing, some men, yea, most men, will venture the loss of their soul. Yea, they will mortgage, pawn, and set their souls to sale for it. Is not this a great waster? Doth not this man deserve to be ranked among the extravagant ones? What think you of him who, when he tempted the wench to uncleanness, said to her, If thou wilt venture thy body, thou wilt venture thy body, I'll venture my soul. Was not here like to be a fine bargain? Think you, or was not this man like to be a gainer by so doing? This is he that prizes sin at a higher rate than he doth his immortal soul. Yea, 
This is he that esteems a quarter of an hour's pleasure more than he fears everlasting damnation. What shall I say? This man is minded to give more to be damned than God requires he should give to be saved. Is not this an extravagant one? Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Yea, let all the angels stand amazed at the unaccountable prodigality of such an one. Objection 1. But some may say, I cannot believe that God will be so severe as to cast away into hellfire an immortal soul for a little sin. Answer. I know thou canst not believe it, for if thou couldst, thou wouldst sooner eat fire than run this hazard. And hence all they that go down to the lake of fire are called the unbelievers. And the Lord shall cut thee that makest this objection asunder, and shall appoint thee thy portion with such, except thou believe the gospel and repent. Objection 2. But surely, though God should be so angry at the beginning, it cannot in time but grieve him to see and hear souls roaring in hell, and that for a little sin. Answer. Whatsoever God doeth, it abideth forever. He doth nothing in a passion or in an angry fit. He proceedeth with sinners by the most perfect rules of justice. Wherefore it would be injustice to deliver them whom the law condemneth. Yea, he would falsify his word. If after a time he should deliver them from hell, concerning whom he hath solemnly testified, that they shall be there for ever. Objection 3. O, oh, but as he is just, so he is merciful, and mercy is pitiful, and very compassionate to the afflicted. Answer. O, oh, but mercy abused becomes most fearful in tormenting. Did you never read that the lamb turned lion, and that the world will tremble at the wrath of the Lamb, and be afflicted more at the thoughts of that than at the thoughts of anything that shall happen to them in the day when God shall call them to an account for their sins? The time of mercy will be then past, for now is that acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, the salvation. The gate of mercy will then be shut and must not be opened again. For now is that gate open. Now it is open for a door of hope. The time of showing pity and compassion will then be at an end, for that as to acting towards sinners will last but till the glass of the world is run, and when that day is past, mark what God saith shall follow. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon you, mark you how many pinching expressions the Lord Jesus Christ doth threaten the refusing sinner with. The sinner with, that refuseth him now, I will laugh at him, I will mock at him. But when, Lord, wilt thou laugh at and mock at the impenitent? The answer is, I will laugh at their calamities, and mock when their fear cometh. When their fear cometh as desolation, and their destruction like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish cometh upon them. Objection 4. 
But if God Almighty be at this point, and there be no moving of him to mercy at that day, yet we can but lie in hell till we are burnt out. As the log doth at the back of the fire, answer, poor besotted sinner, is this thy last shift? Wilt thou comfort thyself with this? Are thy sins so dear, so sweet, so desirable, so profitable to thee, that thou wilt venture a burning in hell fire for them, till thou art burnt out? Is there nothing else to be done but to make a covenant with death, and to maintain thy agreement with hell? Is it not better to say now unto God, Do not condemn me, and to say now, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner? Would not tears and prayers and cries, in this acceptable time, to God for mercy, yield thee more benefit in the next world than to lie and burn out in hell will do? But to come more close to thee, have not I told thee already that there is no such thing as a ceasing to be? That the damned shall never be burned out in hell, there shall be no more such death, or cause of dissolution forever. This one thing, well considered, breaks not only the neck of that wild conceit on which thy foolish objection is built, but will break thy stubborn heart in pieces. For then it follows that unless thou canst conquer God, or with ease endure to conflict with his sin-revenging wrath, thou wilt be made to mourn while under his everlasting wrath and indignation, and to know that there is not such a thing as a burning out in hellfire. Objection 5. But if this must be my case, I shall have more fellows. I shall not go to hell, nor yet burn there alone. Answer. What again? Is there no breaking of the league that is betwixt sin and thy soul? What? Resolve to be a self-murderer? A soul-murderer? What? Resolve to murder thine own soul? But is there any comfort in being hanged with company, in sinking into the bottom of the sea with company? Or in going to hell, in burning in hell, and in enduring the everlasting pains of hell with company? O besotted wretch! But I tell thee, the more company, the more sorrow, the more fuel, the more fire. Hence the damned man that we read of in Luke, desire that his brethren might be so warned and prevailed with as to be kept out of that place of torment. But to hasten, I come now to the second use. You second, is it so? Is the soul such an excellent thing, and the loss thereof so unspeakably great? Then here you may see who are the greatest fools in the world, to wit, those who, to get the world and its preferments, will neglect God till they lose their souls. The rich man in the gospel was one of these great fools, for that he was more concerned about what he should do with his goods than how his soul should be saved. Some are for venturing their souls for pleasures, and some are for venturing their souls for profits. They that venture their souls for pleasures have but little excuse for their doings. But they that venture their soul for profit seem to have much, and they all with one consent began to make excuse. Excuse for what? Why, for the neglect of the salvation of their souls. But what was the cause of their making this excuse? 
why their profits came tumbling in. I have bought a piece of ground. I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Thus also it was with the fool first mentioned. His ground did bring forth plentifully, wherefore he must of necessity forget his soul, and, as he thought, all the reason of the world he should. Wherefore he falls to crying out, What shall I do? now had one said. Mind the good of thy soul, man. The answer would have been ready. But where shall I bestow my goods? If it had been replied, Stay till harvest. He returns again, but I have no room where to bestow my goods. Now tell him of praying, and he answers, He must go to building. Tell him, he should frequent sermons, and he replies, He must mine his workmen. He cannot deliver his soul, nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? And see if in the end he did not become a fool. For though he accomplished the building of his barns, and put in there all his fruits and his goods, yet even till now his soul was empty, and void of all that was good, nor did he, in singing of that requiem which he sung to his soul at last, saying, Soul, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry, show himself ever the wiser. For in all his labors he had rejected to get that food that indeed is meat and drink for the soul. Nay, in singing this song he did but provoke God to hasten to send to fetch his soul to hell. For so begins the conclusion of the parable. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So that, I say, it is the greatest folly in the world for a man, upon any pretense whatever, to neglect to make good the salvation of his soul. There are six signs of a fool, and they do all meet in that same man that concerns not himself, and that to good purpose, for the salvation of his soul. One, a fool has not an heart when the price is in his hand to get wisdom. Two, it is a sport to a fool to do mischief and to set light by the commission of sin. Three, fools despise wisdom. Fools hate knowledge. Four, a fool, after restraint, returneth to his folly. Five, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Six, the fool goes merrily to the correction of the stocks. I might add many more, but these six shall suffice at this time, by which it appears that the fool has no heart for the heavenly prize, yet he has to sport himself in sin. And when he despises wisdom, the way is yet right before him. Yea, if he be for some time restrained from vice, he greedily turneth again thereto, and will, when he has finished his course of folly and sin in this world, go as heedlessly, as carelessly, as unconcernedly, and quietly, down the steps to hell, as the ox goeth to the slaughterhouse. This is a soul fool, a fool of the biggest size. And so is everyone also that layeth up treasure for himself on earth, and is not rich towards God. Objection 1. But would you not have us mind our worldly concerns? Answer. 
Mind them, but mind them in their place. Mind thy soul first and most. The soul is more than the body, and eternal life better than temporal. First seek the kingdom of God, and prosper in thy health and thy estate as thy soul prospers. But as it is rare to see this command obeyed, for the kingdom of God shall be thought of last. So if John's wish was to light upon, or happen to some people, or happen to some people, they would neither have health nor wealth in this world to prosper and be in health as their soul prospers, what to thrive and mend in outwards no faster, then we should have them have consumptive bodies and low estates, for are not the souls of most as unthrifty, for grace and spiritual health, for grace and spiritual health, as is the tree without fruit that is pulled up by the roots. Objection 2. But would you have us sit still and do nothing? Answer. And must you needs be upon the extremes? Must you mind this world to the damning of your souls? Or will you not mind your callings at all? Is there not a middle way? May you not, must you not, Get your bread in a way of honest industry, that is, caring most for the next world, and so using of this as not abusing the same. And then a man doth so, and never but then, when he sets this world and the next in their proper places, in his thoughts, in his esteem and judgment, and dealeth with both accordingly. And is there not all the reason in the world for this? Are not the things that are eternal best? Will temporal things make thy soul to live? Or art thou none of those that should look after the salvation of their soul? Objection 3. But the most of men do that which you forbid, and why may not we? Answer. God says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. It is not what men do, but what God commands. It is not what doth present itself unto us, but what is best that we should choose? Now, he that refuseth instruction despiseth his own soul, and he that keepeth the commandment keepeth his own soul. Make not, therefore, these foolish objections. But what saith the word? How readest thou? That tells thee that the pleasures of sin are but for a season, that the things that are seen are but temporal that he is a fool that is rich in this world and is not so towards God. And what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Objection 4. But may one not be equally engaged for both? Answer. A divided heart is a naughty one. You cannot serve God and mammon. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And yet this objection bespeaks that thy heart is divided, that thou art a mammonist, or that thou lovest the world. But will riches profit in the day of wrath? Yea, are they not hurtful in the day of grace? Do they not tend to surfeit the heart, and to alienate a man and his mind from the things that are better? Why then wilt thou set thy heart upon that which is not? Yea, then what will become of them that are so far off of minding of their souls that they for whole months and years together, for whole months and years together, 
scarce consider whether they have souls to save.